Yo, straight up, hit this shit. The Protect Your Neck Podcast. UFC Boston Breakdown. Picks, plays, and whatever else comes our way. Let's go to work. Savages, this is the Protect Your Neck Podcast, and I am your host, Dan Tom, and this is work you can find at MMAJunkie.com, and on this year's program, the Protect Your Neck Podcast, we break down high-level MMA, that's what we're going to do here today, tonight, whenever you listen to this, hopefully it's before the fight, because it's a bit of an airtight, I'm recording this uh, about 24 hours when the, the show is about to go down, that is UFC Boston, UFC on ESPN6, UFC... Reyes versus Weidman, of course, I'm talking about, so I'm going to try to keep this as expedited as possible. But I did want to at least touch briefly, recap, got it laid out, the previous card. I will timestamp if you want to jump ahead to the breakdown, and if you're really pressed for times and you just want my picks and plays, as per usual, not just the timestamps, but you can just fast-forward all the way to the end. I won't you know, be butthurt about it or anything like that. Fast-forward to the end where I always recap my picks and plays. Wow, thank you for that intro which is all in by band, the band Guns Up. One of my favorite Boston bands, Shoes Over Hardcore, uh, Crew Neck Sweaters before they were cool, uh, you know, Nike shoe heads, but yet just really screaming hardcore, punch you in the face, grab the mic whenever you can, raw energy and speed, baby. Um, the music that Dan Tom was into. I had, to, I had to find like some kind of palpable track that not just worked for the intro, but that just didn't abuse the ears because... Uh, the singer for Guns Up, much like Dan Tom here, you know, it, it, was, it was punk hardcore. We're not supposed to be nice to the ears, but yeah, it wouldn't be too nice to your ears. So hopefully that got you woke up. Like my third cup of coffee has gotten me woken up this morning, trying to cram it all in. But I did, for the most part, I will get to the one fight that I kind of stayed light on. And, and you guys won't be uh, surprised nor hurt by it. Um, and it's, it's, it's the obvious one. It's the most kind of stacked odds fight on the card. That said... I did some pretty decent tape study, if I may say so. I know I've been giving that warning, caveat, whatever you want to call it. I'm just honest, for better or worse. Uh, if I don't do, you know, my normal tape study, which, yes, I have cut down my work considerably. Tried to, at least, you know, which is really hard to. But um, I'm trying to work smarter here. That said, I did did do my due diligence. And uh, not, not going to complain about that. Love my job. But, uh, boy, just kind of a reference and shout to my man Ben Folks over there at The Athletic. Did a great piece on John Attic. And we've had him on Junkie Radio many times. And I've talked to him about work ethic and kind of shared, you know, some of the things he said on this year's show as far as John Attic, that is. But Ben Folks did a highlight piece on John Attic there. That was pretty cool. And, you know, just just hearing him kind of do that math because I was kind of going through a similar, he actually used a very similar analogy where I was just kind of looking within the month. Like not only do I forget what day it is, that's a normal thing. But like the other day, probably yesterday, I was forgetting, are we going into summer or are we leaving summer? Like what part of the year is it? You just fucking forget. And it sounds like I'm over-exaggerating it, but I'm not just like a guy like John Anik, who uh, doesn't definitely doesn't seem like a guy to over-exaggerate things when he says like in that article that, I can go up to a fighter in a bar that I called their fight that night. I can't even remember if they won or lost. 
And that sounds like an exaggeration, but I, I believe John when he says that. Um, you know, and he, John actually broke it down with the uh, similar analogy that I just referenced, which was something like, you know, you end up doing 125 fighters in a month. You know, that's just UFC and, uh, you know, um, and, uh, you know, it's, it's just crazy. The dude makes it look effortlessly. So shout out to them and uh, that uh, article there. Uh, UFC on ESPN plus 19 ha- happened. It was a good, it was a good night for Pateki Neck podcast listeners, right? We went, uh, 10 and four in picks overall, which wasn't too bad. Two and oh in straight plays, uh, three out of four in props and three and oh in parlay pieces. So we're going to recap that real quick and get onto the breakdown to keep it, uh, keep it all business. But yeah, Boston always brings out, oh man, as I'm pulling the, the results that, uh, yeah, to back to that music really briefly, it just... Really love that stuff, man. Have Heart was one of my favorites. Shout out to me on Twitter at Dan Tom MMA. Um, if you guys are any, any that fan of that this era of music that, that I'm you know familiar with, early bands being you know uh, not from the Boston area, but like you know Black Flag, Gnostic Front, stuff like that, kind of evolved more into the New Age Youth Crew revival. Like the Have Hearts. Shout out to Patty Flynn, Patrick Flynn uh, from you know from Boston there and. Uh, even just crazy bands like Colin of Arabia, Colin from Brockton, Mass. Dude, it's sociopath tattooed on the back of his, blasted over his chest. But those are the kind of shows that Dan Tom went to. Apparently those shows in Brockton were crazy. Colin would throw chains at people in the audience. Yeah, I might post a video, actually, where we rest the stage on, like, Guns Up's final show. I couldn't make it out to Boston for their final show, but, like, they went out and did their final show at the Alpine and Oxnard. Tomorrow, Oxnard, brothers. Uh, in Oxnard, and it was fucking crazy. At the end, they invite or the drummer switches place with the singer for the last part. It's a stomp down sing along, and uh, we, we all rush the cage. And in the video, you, we all rush the cage. <laughs> we rush the stage, and uh, they're, they're begin dogpiling on top of the stage. It's actually pretty insane. I'll, I'll probably post a video of it earlier, later, and you can uh, do a Where's Waldo and spot a young Dan Tom grabbing the mic twice, including uh, toward the end when we when we actually rush rush the stage and overwhelm the. Uh, the platform. It's fun times. Fun times. All right. Uh, Yoani and Jacek defeated Michelle Waterson. Uh, obviously, you know that that was all for uh, all for not again. All that all that drama was for nothing, and um, I could really care less uh, about it. But yeah, it it's um, it does suck for Waterson though, because uh, you know it, it, I will admit, even though I picked Yoani and Jacek, she actually overperformed what I thought. You know. I, I'm not going to go so far as to say, like, you know, she's back. But that's kind of what I said before, right? I don't think we'll ever see her back. That being said, she overperformed, you know, where I thought she was. She was actually going for back takes and stuff like that. That was pretty cool to see. Cub Swanson defeated Cron Gracie. I knew I, that's just a dumb pick. I knew I regretted it as soon as I made it. I was happy to be wrong, though. And uh, good on you, Swanson betters. And I'm glad I stayed away. Um, that wasn't on my avoid list because, again, there, there's an angle that you really liked. I wasn't going to stop you, but that was, even though I picked Gron, that was all dog or pass, so, uh, for what that's worth. Uh, Nico Price defeated James Vick. Man, poor James Vick, you know. Boy, they came at him on Twitter. It's, uh, I thought Shab had it bad <laughs> in his prime, like, but, uh, but boy, Twitter, Twitter, uh, ate him up. And I, I feel bad because James Vick, you know, he's a family man, it's, Four devastating KOs. Uh, man, I, I, that was just a bad matchup. I didn't like that. But uh, Nico Price did cash and inside the distance as well. Amanda Rebos defeated Mackenzie Dern. Um, Should have stuck with my gut there, but I, I picked a game day performer over uh, 
perceived game day performer over more well-rounded uh, American top team fighter. There's kind of a similar dynamic, actually, that we're going to get to here in UFC ESPN 6. So um, hopefully I'm not overcorrecting the steering wheel, but that kind of portends to my pick for that matchup. But yeah, that, that proved to be wrong. Uh, glad I stayed away, though. Again, I'm not trying to you know play revisionist history doing yourself look good. I mean, these are these are things that I stated before. Uh, Matt Frivola defeated Luis Pena. Um, I wasn't too upset with the score. You know, I, I, it was it was you know um, I could not only see how you could come to a Frivola scorecard, not controversially at all, but it's also Luis Pena's fault for letting it get that close and kind of taking his foot off the gas. So. Can't be mad there. Props to Favola. I think I might have sprinkled live for fun, but yeah, this was on the avoid list, I believe, uh, for a good reason. Same with Eric Anders defeating Gerald Mearshart. I actually scored it the other way. I had it for Gerald. Um, I don't think either fight was a robbery in either sense, uh, by any means, or close to it by any means, but I will say, for whatever it's worth, I guess, if we're looking for metrics here, or if you are, for my opinion, I do think you have more of a right to be upset over this one than the Pena Favola, if that makes sense. That being said, I, I just, I, I'm also biased. I hated seeing both guys lose, but bias aside, the analysis was right as far as it being on the avoid list because stylistically it was a, you know, it was crazy. I mean, we had Mearshart looking good in the third round kickboxing against Anders. I didn't expect that, you know, great on Mearshart. Um, all right, uh, but I mean, not great, you know, sucks that he didn't get the win, but, you know, great arm, you know, silver lining there for Gerald, GM3. Cooper Troop. Ryan Spann defeated Devin. Cl <laughs> Come on! <laughs> Sorry, that one was for uh, Lance uh, Lance uh, Lance Steiner at Big J06. Uh, I won't share what we were talking about because it wasn't like a listener question thing. So I don't respect people's privacy, and I tried to give their names unless I probably shouldn't give his full name there. But he just I will include something nice. Lance said he he said he appreciates my impressions, particularly to Devin Clark's dad. So that that eardrum blast, apologies, folks, was for. Uh, was for Lance there. Uh, you know, so, uh, but yeah, that it was good. <laughs> there was one person louder than Devin Clark. That was Dan Tom when that plus 900 prop came in, you know. Uh, thanks to Aaron Brownsbitter for that shout. Apparently he told me he got bet down within podcast release time to closing time to plus 500. I can't take credit for that. He was joking that I should, like, no, I can't take credit for that. But some people even got a better number than me, apparently, on, on a house if they went at it right away. Someone apparently got a plus 1,000, gave him a, a retweet on that prop. So that was nice. And then another gentleman, oh, geez, I have it in there. But, um, and uh, he, he didn't have to. He, uh, he threw in a, a little tip for hitting the, the, the prop piece uh, and DM'd me. Um, let's see. Da, 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 da. Forget. Uh, da, 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 da. Oh. It's, it's, I'll, I'll give him a shout. I definitely will give him a shout. Uh, at Josh is my bro name because he's a, he always interacts on Twitter. Seems like a nice gentleman there. But uh, yeah, uh, he, yeah, a little tip to the uh, uh, PayPal as well as uh, another gentleman. I, I, I you know know him. I give uh, retweets to him all the time because he does he does good work on YouTube. And I love seeing people uh, that are in the grind there. And I want to make sure that I give him his uh, proper one. I'm sorry, this is terrible podcasting um at mma ko champ as well um again i'm not trying to shameless plug although that's kind of what i'm doing i've gotten uh tips before and people go you know quite generous ones where they specifically say i don't want you to say my name i don't even want to shout and i've respected that 
for the most part when it is. Although I will respect the name thing for sure. Although I can't help but give you a shout if you you don't have to do anything. Your listenership means the most, but I can't help but give you a shout. So I have to give those people a shout. So hopefully you forgive me uh, to uh, lighten up your spot like that. And uh, of course, uh, if you feel so inclined, that's the mixedmarshallanalyst.com where you can find also on it links right right below the PayPal link that I'm shamelessly plugging right now on it if you shop it on it like the hemp protein any of those things like that but boom 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 you can uh, go there for not an extra penny and just a small percentage of whatever you end up buying if you click through the banner will go to the podcast and all that will be going to the studio that I I, I, I am working on uh, still working on but you know it, it, it's it's uh, it, it's coming folks believe me it is coming. Sorry that that bullshit's out of the way, and we'll have Amazon stuff too shortly, and I'll plug that when we do. Um, but yeah, that was cool. The Ryan Spans mission. That's just that number seemed way off. I didn't find anything, at least with my digging, uh, that crazy that I'll be taking the shot on this week, folks. But uh, it, I did, and, and it hit. It was all, it was all span inside the distance. Mike Davis beat Thomas Gifford. That was uncomfortable to watch. Um, Sucks too because my my dude Mark Montoya was in that corner and he's a really uh, you know good corner man and uh, something that hasn't been talked about which Anthony Smith was good about to highlight on the desk. And granted, you know, he, he, of course he's biased is going to speak for his coach, but for what it's worth, you really got to take the information that was really truthful uh, from Anthony there, and I'm glad he put it out there, uh, which was you know uh, uh, that Mark was really already beating himself up and blaming himself and taking the blame already. Uh, and judging by the, I don't know Mark personally, but just from the interviews we've done, uh, and just from what I've seen from the outside with him, he, he seems like he's a really strong character individual and, uh, will probably would be the type to kind of beat himself up more than he probably needs to. So, uh, you know, yes, multiple people failed him. I'm not trying to spin a narrative here, folks. Believe me. I'm just saying, uh, <laughs> Boy, you know, even the, even if Gifford just seems to have no problem with it on Twitter the next day, just because of that, that doesn't mean the people around him uh, that were perceived to have failed, and that doesn't mean that the, they don't uh, they don't perceive it as well. In other words, so for whatever that's worth, and uh, I, I I still think Mark Montoya is a great coaching corner, uh, but this will be a this will be a certain learning lesson and a reminder for for them and all. Um, which another towel throw came up in my research. We'll get to that fight as well. Um, but yeah, just didn't, didn't, didn't get talked to, talked about as much, um, or done as much, of course, but you know, it's just, uh, it's crazy. I'll, I'll save that thought for the next one, but yeah, uh, next fight, Moronova defeated Max Griffin. Um, I, I think this was on the avoid list as well, I believe. I'm not sure. It just was, I had Max, but not, I can't remember. I don't think I was too mad at the scorecard. I can't remember the fight. I apologize, folks, but that was just another one where, um, yeah, I, I said I respect for Morono, and I couldn't pull the trigger on Max there, even though I picked him. Davis and Figueredo beat Tim Elliott pretty bad, uh, pretty bad there at the guillotine choke. I mean, it's a bad dude, Davis, and I felt bad picking and recommending Davison as a parlay piece against Tim Elliott, a guy who trains in my backyard, even though I don't know him. But that's the analysis, folks, and it hit. Marlon Vera defeated Andre Uhl by strikes TKO. Uh, classic Marlon Vera performance there, right? Uh, Vera cash. That was a nice one. That was a, I know that was a straight play. And uh, may have even played him inside the distance. Mikhail Baeza defeated Hector Aldana. I know I picked Baeza. That was kind of a big line, though, so I don't think I played it too crazy. Although I did do it for fun. I did my main card probably, which didn't hit. I did the one I gave you guys, which did hit, of course. Um, but I also did a fun one, stick, staying away from the Cub Swanson, Con Karn Gracie matchups and staying away from the avoid list. It ended up being a seven leg just for fun. That was the only other parlay I did. That shit ended up hitting Bayes. It was a part of that. And again, 
not to spoil what's ahead, but there's going to be no, this is not a parlay card ahead for this weekend, folks. It's going to be just taking your shots. I'll tell you what shots I'm taking here in a second. Probably going to have to take a break because my bladder is on one today, but uh, we'll finish this recap here. Yeah, Beza uh, handled Hector Adana accordingly. Uh, Marvin Vittori comes through as, as a parlay piece, defeats Andrew Sanchez. It's just that pace and that pressure, just that, again, durable southpaws who can grapple, man. It's just, and they put that volume on. Cordero-style volume. And J.J. Ulrich defeated Lauren Mueller. Um, I kind of wish I was went with my, my gut and went heavy on Aldridge, even though I did play her. I ended up playing her. Um, I just kind of, even though my pick didn't change, I think I ended up having more respect for Mueller because she was still developing. But, uh, you know, who did I have a, a lot of faith in? Uh, a friend of mine at 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 a at a, a sports book who works at a sports book here who, you know, gave me the bang cunts tip when someone you know some Asian guy started dropping money on uh on cunts there. Um, the same guy told me that uh some a gentleman from New Mexico uh dropped thirty grand on J.J. Aldridge. For whatever that's worth. May or may not a birdie. Birdie may or may not have told me that a man from New Mexico dropped 30 grand on J.J. Alvarez here in Vegas. For whatever that's worth, huh? Crazy stuff. All right, folks. So that was a good, profitable night. Let's see if we can do good here. We're just going to take a quick break on the Protect Your Neck podcast. And we'll be back for the breakdown of UFC Boston. And we're back right here at the Protect Connect podcast for the breakdown UFC on ESPN 6 between Chris Weidman and Dominic Reyes, which we're going to start from top to bottom as per usual. We got Dominic Reyes as the favorite, minus 165. Chris Weidman is making his light heavyweight debut. Come back on him as the underdog, plus 145. If I miss any details on this one or the co-main, I have full writtens and videos of MMAJunkie.com, and I encourage you to check out if you have not already. All right, uh, yeah, I, I don't disagree with Dominic Reyes being the favorite here. I went back and watched all of Chris Weidman's fights. All Dominic Reyes is, too, actually. Did a whole a deep dive on this one, old school. Felt really good and kind of... Restored some views on certain narratives, and as I like, alter some. Because you go over it with new eyes, you don't want to just always restore and um, the same, bi- uh, you know, not biases. That too, you know, narratives as well. You can dr- over-drill them and makes you blind to other things. Like changes, which Weidman did show in his last fight. You know, he just show more of an educated left hand. And... Um, It's funny, better decision-making in the striking ranges as well on entering and exiting, although he ultimately would still succumb to the damage uh, and pressure, right? Um, and, and just kind of went in on that wrong time with that right hand. And um, you could make arguments that he was winning those fights, but I think that gets overblown. And I, I could see why Chris Weidman would do it, because he's the fighter. He has to have that confidence 
So I have no problem with Chris at all kind of having that narrative, but that narrative can be catchy. And you got to be careful because I, I do believe that the tide was turning in that Musasi fight. And not only was UL winning the wrestling statistically in that fight, I do believe that the tide was also turning in that fight. So by numbers and by those invisible numbers, your read of the fight, um, I, I believe those were going, uh, the, you know, they weren't favoring uh they weren't favoring Chris, even if they were one and one scorecards heading into set third rounds. Uh, furthermore, when you really look at it, he really hasn't had good third rounds, Chris Weidman, outside of his third round with Kelvin Gastelum, where he had to come back from getting dropped. Uh, and that's kind of why I picked Gastelum, because I just I thought that was going to happen, even though part of me was like, ah, Gastelum turtles a lot, and this could turn into a grappling match. Chris has got to get back on track. So I was just grab see if it is a grappling match. Should have stuck with my gut. I can't play revisionist history, not trying to, but that was really the only fight where we saw him have a good third round. He had to kind of go through it, you know, not hell, but, you know, almost get, losing the fight and getting stopped to get there. And even in the fight where he won the third round against Leo Machida, and this is back in his prime, and man, you, I mean, both those guys look real healthy going into that fight, I tell you. Uh, that aside... Even then, Chris Weidman started kind of fading in that third round, even though I believe he won it on me and most of the judges' cards. And, you know, you, you can make arguments for Machida in rounds uh, four and five, uh, especially five. Um, but the point being is that even prime Chris Weidman, he's really never been strong in these later rounds. He's been finishing guys early. Uh, or, you know, taking fights on last minute when you go have to go really early to his career. And, and, and maybe that's why he was, you know, kind of doing poorly on those. And those are good or bad. They're so far back in the sample size, you really can't account for them too much. Although I did go back and watch those early fights. Um, and I guess my come away is that I, I, I don't blame anybody. You know, I think this is more of a dog or pass at this price. I'm I'm still not confident. My night's going good. I'll probably play on Reyes, but everything is juiced to the gills, including him inside and by TKO. Uh, I'm playing him by round two. I, I may have like threw a couple bucks on round two just for fun, especially when I have those specific rounds because I, I think that it's gonna it, it's gonna take till round two. You know, a lot of the things like with the next fight, we assume that the striker, the more dangerous knockout guy. Yes, he's the more dangerous striker or the more dangerous knockout guy. But that doesn't mean they're always necessarily dangerous in the, in the first round. It can be in the later rounds. A lot of times, especially if they have more of a veteran mindset, you know, um, it will take to the later rounds for them to break and figure out their opponent because they're not going to blow everything out. And I think that that's what Reyes can do. I wouldn't be too confident in it, but the fights that people are using against Reyes in the sample size actually strengthen uh, his argument in this fight, in my opinion, because he had to go through those tough veteran lessons, and he almost could have got that veteran loss right against a Volkan Ozdemir, but that's not a bad decision. It wasn't as bad as as many people thought. Now, did I think Volkan was going to win that fight when they were live? Sure, but at the same time, there was a lot of body work and leg work, and you, I go back to watch it, and you're welcome to do and hopefully find the same. Is that you'll see that, that that Reyes is actually fighting pretty smart there. He's going to the body, and the commentators, you know, God bless him, not picking on him by any means. They're, they're, you know, you got stellar people on each broadcast there doing a good job. You know, or you know, uh, you know, you got you know longtime guy in Rogan on one, or a guy that I and you and hopefully you respect in Dan Hardy, who's one of the best. Which, by the way, actually it's John Gooden actually crediting Dominic Reyes for the body work. But overall, he really wasn't getting credit for the shots that he was landing in those later rounds, and he actually goes on to win the third rounds in both those contests. Arguably, obviously, 
uh, knocking out OSP um, in his three-round uh, you know decision again with deceptively tough, deceptively big, light heavyweights. Um, whereas Weidman, he's talked about going to light heavyweight for a while. Hell, his longtime training partner and, be- and best friend's a light heavyweight, so he's had his rounds with a, a guy who's got heavy hands and good takedown defense, aside from the obvious uh, opposite of stance, uh, Jan Vellante, hey, GP Vellante, more like DP Vellante, right? Right, Chris? Hey, come on, Jan. Keep it down, I'm married. Um, but, like, you know, like, but if you look at the, by the way, shout out to James Lenz. Always awesome does those video game interviews, but probably his best one yet. I agree with my man, Nolan King, there. Um, I have to give that, I'll give that a share before uh, fight, fights get underway tomorrow. But it is an awesome one. Go check it out on, on the score MMA. Uh, James Lenz's uh, uh, outlet there. Uh, John and Chris play Madden, and it's a you know it's a good one. I'm glad it went the way it is. I don't want to spoil it, but it it, it, it plays out it plays out nicely. It's it's funny, but if you look at it, uh, <laughs> John Vellante, he's not he doesn't look it in, in too much shape, and I haven't really seen him in Chris's uh, training footage or IG stuff, so I don't know how much he's really training with John. And more importantly, that 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 really hinges anything to be honest. More importantly, uh, just my more common trend was not just the. Um, wrestling and gas which is true i mean the, the what i was getting to with the gas tank is that even if chris gets him down unless he's able to find do some really bad damage or submit him early and 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 and, and, and you know and hold him down so that he can do it so he has to also not just get him down but stop and consistently stop the scrambles of dominic reyes who knows how to get up and wrestle and knows how to tripod properly fight hands use defense um you know the back take I think is actually going to be more of a problem against Weidman, who's who's one of the few guys at light heavyweight or at middleweight that can take a back pretty well. But Weidman is really dangerous from the front headlock. That's it. Dominic Reyes trains under Joe Stevenson. Uh, I gotta assume he's got good front headlock defense, right? Uh, I know I'm kind of jumping all over the place, but the point is, unless Weidman can get past all those, consistently hold him down, find something to do as far as damage or obviously submitting or stopping him. You know, who's going to run out of gas first, you know? Um, again, is the gas narrative a bit overblown just because we see a chink in the armor of a guy who's undefeated and doesn't show any, anything, so we, we tend to latch onto that? I mean, I'm guilty of that myself, right? I've done it with Khabib. Like, I'm not shitting on anybody or anything. Like, I've done these things myself. I'm just simply saying that, you know, is that what we're doing here? Or maybe not me, maybe not you, but the collective we. Is that what we're doing here with Dominic Reyes? Because... Does he, in fact, deceptively have the cardio edge? He could. I'm not willing to die on that hill. Nor does that actually play into why I'm picking him. But it's just interesting food for thought. And I guess the other point I was picking at or getting to as far as Chris Wyman and his common threat and talking about these size disparities and size parodies is that I really, going back to look at it, and like he, he pretty much take down, takes down almost everybody he fights except for you know once he starts getting to these other sample sizes, which kind of makes more sense. Um, but really, unless he can, you know, Weidman's right. His threat of his grappling makes his striking stand out, but also he was a big middleweight, you know, 6'2", 77 or 78 inch reach or something like that. 78 inch reach. Um, that deceptive reach, you know, when you think you're out of the way, like Anderson did when he's trying to slip out of the second and third punch, he was still in range. Um, he's got that kind of deceptiveness, and it's paid off for him well. Same with early on in his career, ring of combat against Uriah Hall. I mean, that that reach has definitely paid off for him, and he, he does hit hard. He's got a, a smart coaches behind him and Ray Longo. But 
I do wonder, you know, um, how much of his success really has to do with not just his grappling, but his, ab- his ability to bully somebody. And because his grappling is how he bullies people in a literal sense, right? And we've seen that with a lot of bullies before. High-level ones, low-level ones, mid-level ones. It's kind of a common trapping. Not for everybody, but something, a trapping to look out for that is common. What happens when you can't bully? Do you, do you fall apart? Uh, do things start to fall apart for you? And if you look at it, if that is true, that means fighters where there would be a size parity, Luke Rockhold. Fighters where there's, or there, a fighter where that he just can't and or doesn't grapple with, Jacare didn't grapple with, and he admitted he probably should have tested after seeing what Hermanson did, but he didn't, right, because of the jiu-jitsu threat, so he was forced to stand. We saw what happened, even in a fight that he was winning, right? Or Yoel Romero, again, fitting the, maybe not so much size parity, although he's, you know, thickness, he's a size parity to anybody, right, you know, Romero, but more so as in falling into that second category, which outlined my breakdown. Guys, for one reason or another, he can't grapple with. Now, he tried to grapple with Yoel, but... I mean, they're generous in the takedowns that he gave them. Let's just say that. I mean, Yoel was able to scramble back up and outscore him on the takedowns and outscramble him the later the fight was going on. He was dictating the reads, right? Could read where, where and could read Weidman's shots, which is why he ended up hitting the knee because he just got a beat on the wrestling. Um, so when you look at these fights with the size parity or for one reason or another, he can't use his strength, which is grappling, is not there. He begins to run into trouble. So if he can't, by that nature, if he can't take down Reyes early and often, because he's going to try to, Reyes has, has had no, no reason to earn a respect with his guard or anything like that. It's going to keep Weidman away from him. But if, again, if he can't do anything early, then I think, I think um, Reyes takes over this fight if he doesn't, you know, altogether catch him on the way in with his counter crosses or kicks. And that was another thing from left hands and orthodox left hooks to the left crosses from back from Machida. To um, Gaslam, obviously, who drops him. And then all the left hands from uh, Jacare uh, to, you know, uh, left body kicks from Rockle to all the way back to, again, left body kicks from Machida. It's something we'll get to, we'll get to with, um, with Greg Hardy to where, like, even in moments, fights where they're successful and dare say dominant. If you still really break down the footage critically, if you look at it, the person, when they did decide to hit him, they hit him pretty much every time. Now, whether it was like a Greg Hardy, which we'll get to, they're afraid fucking what's coming back at him. Or in in this case, more relevantly, Weidman, they're more afraid of the level change, all the the multidimensional threat. Um, they They get kind of frozen up. They get frozen up a bit, right? Uh, but when you look at when they actually do throw, even fighters who lost and then ended up getting dominated, for whatever it's worth, we're pretty much able to hit them fucking 10 out of 10 times or whatever it was when they did throw. You know what I'm saying? At least with certain shots when you narrow it down, not an overall percentage. And uh, the left shots, the shots that, that Reyes' strength is strong in are, are, are wide open for Weidman, so... I think Reyes gets this one in here, round two. Sorry for that. It was long. Yair Rodriguez, Jeremy Stevens, minus 110, dead even. Um, yeah, and let's move to a third three-round co-main event. Obviously, this fight was supposed to happen in Mexico City, and it happened for 13 seconds, where Yair, after landing three really quick kicks, which he really loves to brag about on his Instagram, and, 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 and is using it to hinge on his argument of why he's going to win the fight, 
unfortunately, after those three kicks that he landed, just just I pawed him because he wanted fucking nothing to do with boxing range, and you got to do that to counterbalance yourself off kicks, also as a defense. And not saying Yair is dirty, although he really doesn't help himself with the way he acts and conducts himself in and out of the cage. Um, it, for people that are, are unaware, most people, these fighters still train in boxing gloves and you develop habits which are natural, like pawing and posting. Uh, pawing in a boxing sense, but we call it posting for kickboxing, oftentimes using your hand to post. It's not a bad technique at all. Unfortunately, with MMA gloves, it leads to raking of the eyes. And that's what happened. And it's a shitty situation. And we kind of got to see a bit of character, which I kind of felt like we had a Yair before. I also had this weird feeling of Yair, and uh, let's just say... Uh, I'm not trying to be negative. I was happy for a guy like Frankie Edgar, but yeah, I was happy to see Edgar win that fight. And uh, it really kind of checked a lot of hype, uh, just in general. Uh, at least you would, for Yair and in general. At least you would think it would for Yair, but no. Man, that machismo, it really just comes in strong. And um, I don't know what it is, man. And I'm not trying to let my bias affect my pick, because even though I'm actually going to stay with my pick here, Jeremy Stevens, I'm actually much less confident. Uh, I'm not much less confident in it. Uh, I'll play Jeremy Stevens' money line if it goes to plus money. That's what I'm waiting to see. But even if I do, folks, and I did sprinkle inside the distance and round three, because uh, technically I did say rounds three or four, but I was thinking more towards you know late round three, early round four-ish. Uh, now he's not going to have that. He's not going to have elevation because people, again, like I was kind of uh, saying, hinting at earlier, we, we, we get these strikers like, oh, he's going to... First round or bust? Not necessarily. Not necessarily. You know, Stevens has shown he can get knockouts later in fights. Dennis Bermudez, uh, fight comes to mind, right? And Jeremy Stevens, I was also argued via the tortoise and the hare. He might be the he, it's, he might not jump out of the paper, but he's got good cardio. He really has good uh, consistency in his pace and pressure. And Rodriguez. Uh, altitude, granted, he's fought altitude, has more experience altitude in five round fights. He still has to recoup and take pockets and time off um, in fights that he had the full training camp for, fights that he didn't. So, uh, you know, for whatever that was worth. And that's why I saw the proverbial tortoise catching up with the hair. He's going to have a lot less time to do it now. Um, you know, and yeah, you know, he's going to be working uphill and. Yeah, you know, 13 seconds doesn't say much, but he was able to land three kicks, and he looked a lot faster, and the speed edge is going to play. But guess what? Whether you were backing Rodriguez or not, he was going to, or Stevens or not even, like me, I think everybody conceded that Yair is going to have the speed edge, especially early. It's just, is he going to be able to avoid those crash encounters and the blitzing offense of Stevens? You know, Stevens' footwork has taken time off on certain fights and just abandoned him. And you look, that's because he didn't have Eric Del Fierro in his corner. I think he's going to have him in his corner for this one, but he's also been working with Tony Ferguson for these camps. So be interesting to see what he brings on Saturday night. I'm not as confident in it, though, but uh, I got Stevens in here. And, uh, yeah, part of me, I'm not going to lie, part of me hopes, hopes Yair can, can get, get humbled and, and move forward because I think it's his mindset. Um, I... You don't have to go off my speculations if you just go off the things we've seen and how he's acted on camera, on and off fights. And uh, let's just say we've seen this before with fighters that switch camps a lot. Let's leave it at that. Something, there's something to that. Um, so hopefully, I'm wishing him well. I really am, even though I'm picking against him here. Hopefully he just takes the cue and gets some humility because, man, it just... Uh, 
It's not not that was one common thread. I mean, there's definitely machismo and passion, Latins and South Americans and Mexicans and friends and work with many throughout the years. But the one common thread, the ones all I've known is there's a certain humility and it's really endearing about 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 those people. I don't really sense that with Yair. He kind of comes off like a rich kid. That's just one man's opinion. I'm not trying to condemn the kid or fucking disperse bad shit on him. I hope I hope uh, he grows from it, man, because he's got a shit ton of talent and he deserves to be the favorite here. And hope I wouldn't be surprised if he wins, but I'm going uh, Jeremy Stevens by third round knockout. All right, next fight, Greg Hardy minus 280. Ben Sassoli, plus 240. Again, got to put your biases aside here, folks. Uh, at least I try. I got to for my job. And uh, and uh, even though I'm picking against Yair, it doesn't mean I'm, again, picking against him biasly. And, and hopefully to kind of somewhat prove that point, if I was doing that, I'd be picking against Greg Hardy here. But I'm not, even though Ben Sassoli, the southpaw, is tempting. Ben Sassoli is definitely going to be his toughest test today and is definitely, most definitely going to be tougher than his original opponent, Jarjus Man Mountain Danho who is one of just, holy crap, I can't, I forget, we saw it with, um, might have been a female, so it's probably better that I don't remember uh, the name, so cause I definitely don't want to come off picking on, on a lady, much less a fighter, because both those look bad, and all these people deserve our respect for what they do. Um, but man, there are certain cases where you're just like, this person should not be in here, this is bad. Uh, and it's just funny when it's a guy that's a heavyweight, undefeated-looking destroyer who, you know, crushed cans, but he's got a name like the Man Mountain, and I can't even remember who his fight was. It was super forgettable, like, two or three years ago, and the dude just looked like he was visibly quitting in there, and I don't say that about often. You gotta respect all these fighters in here, but goddamn, it was just like, ugh. So, I could see why Greg Hardy would be mad at, at these opponents that he's been getting, but, uh, Ben Sassoli, man, he hopefully, he really did, you know, he didn't just, uh, Say it in front of the media, because again, Greg Hardy does do well. He is, does really well with the media. He's very well media trained, folks. But uh, hopefully, he did square up his anger and feelings about that, and is treating Sassoli seriously. Because uh, this southpaw can scrap. He's been fighting like amateur and shit since like 2010. So he's got a lot of experience in the gym and the ring sparring. Um, both guys are terrible on the ground, but I don't think it's going to go there. If it is, like Sassoli said, it's going to be Hardy who takes it there. But Sassoli having to travel and everything he's going through, I don't know how much he's been able to train to his own admission. By the way, he did an awesome media scrum, but, but before the media scrum, he did an awesome interview with a Submission Radio, who, who they're always great about getting these guys or, and getting these good interviews early, like their one with Eugene Behrman. Uh, but there was a link, I'm going to retweet it out. Um, Submission Radio shared for um, Sassoli's friend. Real sad story. Just too many too much shit in combat sports going on man um and it just really bothers me as someone who's seen it firsthand and just to see these see more brothers and sisters even though i don't know them suffer you know we we, we just we lost another boxer i believe four and three months and uh, this was a tie but this was a tie boxing incident in thailand uh, ben sasoli's friend there sai and uh He's in a coma, so it's just a really sad story. Go check out the interview, and I'll, I'm going to go ahead and try to share this link, actually, too. I'll write that down for later. Sub link. Submission radio. Link. But, yeah, um, as my heart's going to be with Sassoli here to uh, score the upset. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I, uh, I, I, it's hard to pick against Greg Hardy, you know. Um and the fight-to-fight -fight improvements. I'm just kind of leaving room and watching it grow. Uh, 
I'm not saying not to play Greg Hardy, but for this price and just in general being a heavyweight, I will be careful about going out on your bankroll and really just going heavy chalk on something like this. I know it's one of the few spots there's not much parlay pieces, so that, that this is going to be one of two that are very popular. I'm not hating. I'm wishing you the best. It'll probably cash. And if it's not giving away who I'm picking later, I'm, I'm with you on both legs of those. That said, boy, am I not confident as parlay pieces, for my opinion. For my opinion. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna watch it enjoy. But my pick is Greg Hardy here. Next fight, um this is another pr proof that I'm not going with my bias here, unfortunately. My heart's going one way here. My head's going the other. If that doesn't give it away, it's Jonathan Pierce, minus one sixty, Joe Lozon, underdog comeback, plus one forty. Boy, this is a tough one. Mm, this is tough. Um You know, Pierce's got a great story. Uh all <laughs> Although, uh, you know, he's a, he's a questionable cat himself, but uh, according to tweets, although I don't really don't want to reference that because, man, uh, I hate that game of uh, digging up old tweets and we're all, you know, I try not to get too much on that. It's fun. I'm not hating on people who do that or post stuff for entertainment. Twitter's a kind of a, a fun cesspool for that. I'm not trying to rain on parades, folks, or be Mr. Moral or above it. I'm not. But I will say, as somebody who is, thank God, uh, what's lower than F-level uh, media uh, celebrity or whatever? Like, I don't know. I'm the lowest level of whatever kind of, I can barely consider myself a public anything. But yes, as somebody who is a figure who speaks publicly because my ego and self-deprecating nature won't allow me to use other words here. Yeah, but yeah, somebody who has to speak, you know, uh, publicly, a figure who has to do so, boy, I'll tell you. Messing up words, trying not to make up words on the spot. I probably did it in my breakdown. I think I did one. I made up a fucking word or used it improperly. Like, this shit happens. It's so hard to speak. And I actually got the liberty of having to retake stuff. And I have awesome editors. Like, shout-outs to Ken and Abby who edit stuff. And, like, fuck, dude. I still have a hard time looking fucking sounding presentable. So, even... <laughs> Even unsympathetic characters like Brendan Schaub, like I, I, I can't, I can't get, I can't ride too hard on those, man. I think they're funny. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying I'm, I'm not above those things, but y'all, it's uh, just saying. Be, be, be careful. Let he who you know throw the first stone or whatever, however the fuck that saying goes. Something I gotta remind myself too. So sorry, just thinking out loud there. But at this fight, Jonathan Pierce, I'm taking Jonathan Pierce here over over Joe, Joe Lozon plus 140 underdog. I like Joe, man. I'll be rooting for him. I hope I'm wrong here, but uh, actually, uh, I'm actually surprised the line's not bigger. But uh, I, uh, you know, a, a, a bigger favorite, um, even though it's not even so much Pierce. It's more the matchup, and they hate that whole you know fading the vet. And usually, I'm on the side of the vet here, but this is one where it's just this is tough. This is tough to see. Um, Joe Lozon just looked gone in that Clay Guida fight. And then I was there at that Chris Gutzmacher fight, his last fight, where they threw in the towel. And it's funny, like, we just had an article, or the, uh, we just had, like, our ben, ben Folks just wrote an article, and he, he's a smart guy, and we're all, you know, we're, we're all part of the lexicon, so this isn't, we're all just as guilty here. I'm not pointing the finger or anything, but it just shows, it's, it's more just to show how crazy, how much MMA there is that, like, we're thinking about throwing the towel. The only one that comes to mind is like Rufus, Anthony Pettis versus Ferguson, and uh, Trevor Whitman, uh, Nate Marquardt versus um, I forget I forget who. Uh, but yeah, like I think Kelvin Gastelum. But like yeah, like 
a fighter not even a year ago, as popular as Joe Lozon, their corner uh, throws the towel in, and we we forget about it, myself included. That's crazy, right? Like, is there that much MMA we don't even realize these things? But it was a really good corner stoppage, um, which is one we all forgot about, I guess, was the point I'm trying to say there. Really, really, really props to Lozon's corner for that. But hearing Lozon thinking about retirement beforehand was just bad. Knowing that he probably should have from the outside was just bad. Him admitting in interviews leading up like in J- to Jimmy Smith MMA that like his corner and people took to talk him in retirement and they made an agreement to go through this fight. That's just bad, man. Um, I like what Lozon's doing. I like the community he's got. I wish him nothing but the best. Um, this heartbreaking story when he was going through with uh, little baby Joey. Joey Jojo. Um, sorry, that was uh, Barney Gumble from uh, The Simpsons. Hey, home. Don't cry for me. I'm already gone. Mr. Gumble, this is a Girl Scout meeting. Is it? You're just afraid of me. You have a drinking problem. Uh, sorry about that. But yeah, um, yeah, man, my heart's going to be with Joe Lozon here, but he's always been do or die. And against a do or die fighter who seems to be good in all ranges, it seems to, after some prospect losses and some submission stuff, I don't even know if I call them prospect losses, but yeah, early young losses. He's still a young cat, really, to be honest. Uh, you know, he changed camps, went to uh, MMA lab, and just looked really good, well-rounded, uh, athletically bounced back from the bad shit that he had happen to him, just can do stuff from all ranges, and more just about putting it together. His wrestling has gotten a little bit better, too. Got to imagine it's going to be better going over now to fight ready. We'll see how he does. I believe the only person who's lost that's moved over is Henry Corrales, but granted he had to face a... Tough matchup there for old Henry. Um, fight ready has been pretty hot otherwise off the top of my head. We'll see if that gym change affects him negatively or positively. But the pick here is Jonathan Pierce. Don't blame anybody for laying the chalk. I put 1.75 and I hope I'm fucking wrong. I got it at minus 150. He's now minus 160 though. Um, all right. Macy Barber minus 140. Uh, Jillian Robertson plus 120. God. I am more and more of a fan of Jillian Robertson. One, her interviews, like when she gets excited, like she really gets excited. I just want to talk and I go, what are you going to do? I got to get this. It's great. Uh, that was more of like a Burt Kreischer maybe. But yeah, like uh, it's just great. And I don't know. But <laughs> oh, man. And then, uh, and then, and then, and then seeing she's a, she, she's a girl who doesn't mind her green. Green smoking out of that glass piece. Oh, she's a girl after Dan Tom's heart. Let me tell you. Let me tell you. Um, Come on, Mary. Macy Barber. Uh, I believe that Macy Barber was a deserved favorite, and I was leaning toward her. Say what you will about you know her loud personality, which I get. Uh, it makes it hard to get behind, depending on how you're wired. Um, she's she's really good. She's a game day performer. She's athletic. She hits fucking hard, heavy hands. Will cut girls open and stop them. And uh, but I don't think it's just the overcorrection from these similar dynamics. Like I was comparing with Amanda Hebos fight to the uh, Mackenzie Dern. Mackenzie uh, was that, you know? Sure, you know she deserves to be the favorite. Macy Barber. She's the one the eyes are on, but. Even though Mackenzie seemed dialed in and focused, she was, you know, dealing with a lot to come off of, whereas Macy Barber seems to be just looking every which other way. She looked at she looked more toned. We'll see how much weight she puts back on. She looked pretty toned up at the weigh-ins, even though she needed the hoop. So did Jillian Robertson for what it's worth. And even Jillian Robertson admitted it was a tough weight cut on her Twitter, but she's ready to go. 
I don't know if it affects her. She seems to kind of have that animalistic style where she's just like, um, she goes after it. I don't know what their ranks are. I think she's a purple belt, and I think Macy Barber is around purple belt level. But it's ultimately going to be comes on to who, who's on top. And I like Barber's style where she stays heavy. And there was something that really almost sold me to picking her outright when I saw her a fighter go for a leg lock. I don't know if it was Jamie Colleen or what. Um, and it wasn't so much the fighter going for it because it's a low percentage submission and that fighter wasn't a specialist at it. So that, none of that surprised me, but it was just the decision to figure for her legs and get that leverage on top. And that allowed her to actually punch and start the finishing punching sequence from like a leg drag position almost uh, on top. Now, if she can get to something like that, I think she can turn the tides for sure. It's going to be ground and pound. I don't think she's going to be able to submit or, or uh, Robertson uh, unless she really beats her up and then Robertson gives something. Um, I think Barbara is obviously going to be the better fighter on the feet. You know, uh, She's probably going to opt to use her southpaw stance. She likes to use it predominantly anyways, especially when she's facing an orthodox fighter, which Robertson is. She will have the advantage there. She will have the ability to hit you know, off the separations or on their way into the clinch. Her elbows are going to be super live. We've seen Jillian get hit by like really similar elbows before. Reasons why Barbara is probably the favorite here. However, if she can't turn the tides that early... We haven't seen her against any grappling specialist or anybody that's going to be on Jillian Robertson's level. You know, um, Jillian Robertson has beaten, whereas Jillian Robertson, she's beaten black belt. Granted, they weren't, let's be honest, they weren't real black belts between me and you. But, uh, and boy, that was, a, that was tough to watch that last call. Uh, that Sarah Frota, she had nothing there. Uh, Frota had nothing. Um, I love I love Joe. By the way, that was a rough call. Um, but yeah, uh, so but Robertson's like one of the again. If MMA is like kind of behind, right? Like Robertson is like a mix between. I think she's like a Joe. Speaking of Joe Lozon, she's like the female Joe Lozon. She's like female Joe Lozon in his mid career slash Charles Oliveira in his early career, right? In the sense of, and it's still this way in MMA. But there was that certain point, right, guys, about 10 years ago in MMA where we saw that there were no gi guys that were out doing black belts, Joe Lozon, or people that were like purple belt level, but they were just so active attacking and and that's rewarded in MMA if you're a good scrambler and you're an active and dangerous submission threat and can scramble and you fucking get after it like Charles Oliveira does, you're rewarded kind of purple belt. Like he was kind of the first wave of those. We, we've seen those, right? Uh, Manny Bermudez, who we'll be talking about. I don't have his uh, rank in front of me. I got to get, get those. I'm, I'm bad about following up on those bio sheets. But he, uh, I believe he's like a purple belt level too, but he, he operates like a black belt, right? It's very similar. Like we still have those today. But again, if if WMMA is, you know, uh, only at the, uh, you know, they're getting to the, you know, they're between the, they're they're closer to the the Brock Golden era than, than they are the Chuck Tito era, right? But they're floating in there uh, hypothetically. If I'm using a crude timeline, I don't mean that disrespectfully at all. I'm just saying, if you kind of look at where things are, like specialists still have a lot more play in the female division, for example, than uh, it, male divisions or athletes. Although athletes can make uh, males outliers amongst males, I'm not saying it doesn't. But at the same time, if you are an athlete, you will stand out much more. In the women divisions, right? Um, and, and to that extent. So, yeah, I guess Jillian Robertson is more in that respect. And we haven't really seen Barber 
face face that type of of grappler, especially the scrambles. I mean, Robertson's got some good wrestling entries, and she really likes picking off the le- uh, the right leg, uh, which will be Macy Barber's forward leg. So even though Southpaw can give you a little more distancing on the feet, um, it doesn't necessarily translate as far as grappling entries, especially uh, Rob- uh, Robertson, who actually likes kind of shucking and chaining off of that snatch single off the lead. But then she'll also do things where she won't even just grab that lead leg. She'll also grab the lead arm. Like she forget which fight it was. Uh, she did that almost like Carlos Diego Fajeda, like arm drag, like he did to Poirier. And, and um, Robertson does her own version of it where she arm drags the right arm. And instead of like tripping and turn and turning the corner, she actually just kind of follows the motion and falls down into a deep half and rolls under all like Fabricio Verdum would just do over and over to guys and come out on top and use that to get on top rather than wrestle someone outright. Like real clever Noguera Verdum type shit. And uh, she's already doing stuff like that. And it's probably not by, not by accident. She's got an old school coach, Dean Thomas, and, and her been guiding her since she was 16 and uh, training with you know, the strongest woman stable, uh, female stable there. And then you factor in with, you know, Barber just constantly really beating. And I tried to look too far into that, and but uh, constantly, like, talking about other fighters. It just seems right for Robertson to uh, get the upset. I also like Robertson a lot as well. So uh, she's the pick. It's a risky fight. You don't jump off this fight by any means with me. It, it, it It's not going to make my avoid list, though, because... I'm playing it, which is what I'm getting to here. But also, if you see an angle either way, I don't want to stop you from it. Uh, but uh, I'm actually took a took a shot on a took a, took, took a little piece of a, a Roberts uh, Robertson here. Uh, to be honest, uh, you don't have to jump off that with me. Uh, plus one twenty. I just put a point point uh, seven five units on that little underdog there. Um. All right. Next fight. Darren Wynn, minus 120. Darren Stewart, plus 100. A little bit of money coming in on Stewart. Been seeing some picks and supporters, whether it's from the media or behind the scenes and junkie staff picks, which are actually uh, out right now. Um, so I guess I'm not alone, but I, I guess what I'm trying to say is I was surprised to be, be siding with Darren Stewart myself here after looking at the tape. You know, Darren Wynn, I, I guess I shouldn't be. I mean, I took Eric Spicely, who Darren Stewart beat. I took Aaron, Eric Spicely. I know MMA math isn't a thing, but I took Spicely short notice to beat Wynn for just for value, plus whatever, 385 or whatever the hell he was. And, you know, even though he didn't win, I guess I wasn't that crazy because we looked how close that fight was. And Darren, Darren Wynn, he overachieves in striking for a guy that's specialist on wrestling and doesn't have a lot of on-paper experience. Boy, he's coming out like Daniel Cormier, like, you know, uh, in those strike force days, remember? With Jeff Munson, he's, like, throwing head kicks and, like, just using using vets as a punching bag. And he's kind of doing his own own version of that as well. And it's like, wow, he got a head kick up on a guy like uh, Tom Lawler. Especially, and I didn't think he hit either guy with it, but the fact that he just got it that high, right? You're like, wow, the guy's, like, listed at 5'7 or 5'6 generously. Um, and he's doing that. Bravo. But... He's showing that that power, although it definitely has an effect, and you, you see it on guys' face, that power is real. It also, it's not that it's not real, it just doesn't translate as well. Surprise, surprise, that's kind of the law of gravity in MMA for most guys, specialists or not specialists, top athletes or not. There is a realistic learning curve when you hit the UFC, especially if you hit it fast. And I think we're seeing that with Darren Wynn. 
Um, and, and that's not even hating on his size and competing in the division. I think it's badass. I, I say stay at middleweight. I think, it, you know, especially now, because he can't make, you know, he's having trouble, I should say, making middleweight. So, but even if he was thinking about 170, where I'm sure everybody else would pick him, where he would still be a small guy at 170, no, no, I say stay at middleweight or these. I, I love that parody. I love that parody of him being at the division. I think it's great. I ain't even hating on that. I just think it's a bit, you know, rushed. And you only get this guy like Darren Stewart, who's been an underdog in every one of his fights. He's used to being counted out and will and will prove the odds makers wrong. In fact, he proves the odds makers wrong more often than not as of late. You know, I think a lot of it, he seems like an emotional cat, really had to control himself. And, and I think that maturity is coming through time. Uh, he trains with some really good low-key gyms, especially uh, including London Shoot Fighters, who really shouldn't be a low-key gym at this point. They're one of the more notable uh, notable gyms. And I don't know who there runs their grappling there, but all their fighters have a, have a have a nice catch wrestling base, and that's an underrated part of. Uh, you're not just going to find good and better jujitsu guys in Europe, all across the board, but England in particular. Um, maybe it's just you know lineage of guys like fucking Billy Robinson and whatnot, old school catch wrestlers. But you get like a lot of catch wrestling schools. Like uh, what was um what was tall lanky guy? Uh, Yorkshire, Yorkshire, Yorkshire. Yorkshire. What was a <laughs> tall, lanky guy that uh, Hermanson debuted against? Uh, Scott Askham. Yeah. Yorkshire. Uh, he like he was Atherton submission wrestling, right? Like Atherton, they had some good catch wrestling uh, dudes there too. You know what I'm saying? So you can't you can't uh, write off England like 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 you you may have used to if you're if you if you're going by MMA stereotypes here. Like they do produce good grapplers now. Wrestlers, I'm not sure. I will say, though, Darren Stewart's wrestling really had a wake-up call, even before the Shabazian fight. Um, you had DC before and after the Shabazian fight crediting um, Darren Stewart's wrestling uh, multiple times, as well as other broadcasts. So you know if DC's crediting your wrestling, he's doing things right. And really, DC's commentating aside, you look at it, he's really doing smart things. You know, head positioning, overhook, hiking. Uh, balance, like all these things, just shucking off, not just sprawling, you know, like he's really doing a lot of good shit in there. Uh, sometimes he can, you know, maybe because of his frame, he'll take like the second round off or he'll take stanzas off, which is bad, but he's not getting taken down, um, much less submitted as easily anymore. And uh, he is able to turn these things around and make people pay off the break with, with elbows, which I think is going to be smart here. Uh, he already has the elbows. He does knees pretty well, too. Uh, so he already has these things. I'm not expecting a fighter to do something he hasn't shown that he can do. Although I will say, I hope, especially for my pet's sake, which I'll get here for a second, I hope that Darren Stewart really looks at the Eric Spicely fight and sees that just the tie clinch really is the key, key to beating uh, Darren Wynn. Um... That being said, uh, I don't. Even though Darren Wynn, I don't like his propensity to brawl. I think it's going to get him into trouble, especially if his gas tank that he was, was uber confident in him. And uh, I don't think he's going to be wanting to get into dogfights until he gets his gas tank in order, especially after a tough weight cut, right? So that's something to w w watch out for, especially for this fight. Um, and Darren Stewart shows he can knock guys out late, and that's kind of his thing. He's, he's been expecting that. Now the glaring hole here is what about Edmund Shabazian's fight? I could see why that's troubling. However, I will say the reason why that one, I believe, was on an avoid list, and I will still ended up picking and cashing Darren Stewart for some dog money, albeit an ugly fight against Bevon Lewis after that, it's because Darren Stewart, not just consistently underrated, like I kind of explained, and has you know made these improvements, albeit they didn't show in that fight. He wasn't expecting that kind of a fight. I don't even think it was a full camp for either of the guys, and 
he's going against a guy where there's no footage on and you're expecting a striker. Not only that, but Shabazian put on extra size in that fight. He's just a big boy, but he really hit his growth spurt. Like I saw him off season and before. Like he looked skinny in his fights before, and I don't. I, I'm not insinuating anything here. I just you look at Edmund's age, his skill and his size are going to make jumps, and both of those did. Furthermore, I don't really don't think the grappling and wrestling came out of nowhere. I think he's just a really good athlete, whether you like him or not, folks. Edmund Shabazian is a really good athlete. I don't. Not saying he's going to be a top 10 fighter because of it or he's going to get a belt because of it, but he is a really good athlete. He's a really big fighter. And we see with like guys with the rock hold, those big kind of wide frames and they're athletic and they're already a good grappler, which everybody was marking Shabazian for his boxing. But the truth is, especially when you go look at these interviews when he's eight, nine years old, he's like a little jujitsu whiz kid. Like they started doing grappling like a lot of those Armenians. They actually do grappling. Carl, a lot of them grapple. From an early age. And so Edmund has been grappling longer than he's been striking or boxing. So, but again, you know, he comes from Rousey's gym and he trains under Edmund. So we're going to, you know, there was just a lot of writing him off. So, uh, which was fine, you know, for those of us that have been betting Shabazi and he's been cashing. It's going to be hard for me when he fights my boy, uh, Brad Tavares. We'll get to that bridge when we cross it. But uh, point being, whether you like Edmund or not, I'm trying, not trying to sell you on him. The point is he is very, un uh, he's underrated. Um, for a lot of factors. So I could actually see why that kind of fight got the jump on him and it started frustrating. He got in his own head. To me, the more flag on that matchup is Darren Stewart's mental uh, getting the best of him. Um, and he did recover to have a really good third round, but then still ended up getting you know, those level changes. But for what those were, those were really good and well-timed level changes as well that he caught when like Darren Stewart was selling out. Not all guys can do that. And even guys that are athletic long frame and level changed like Bevon Lewis in the next fight Darren Stewart made it a point to show that he could stop those and he did does that mean he's going to stop takedowns from Darren Wynn? No, not necessarily Darren Wynn can take you down in multiple ways man and his short stoutness he knows how to make it work for him so I don't think that he, he I wouldn't be surprised for Darren Wynn to get takedowns in this fight but kind of similar to the Weidman and uh, Rodriguez, uh, Reyes fight uh, I just think that Darren Stewart's going to be able to catch him with something and make it make make it an ugly fight. Uh, the later it goes, not the second round like Reyes. In fact, I think it is the third round. Easy, Derek Love. Not saying go out there and lay it, but uh, I'll be honest with you. I played Stewart uh, straight up plus one ten for one unit, and I also played Stewart round three plus one seven fifty. Um, usually the number is twelve hundred or up is around three. What I like to play for this one fits it. Another one that I did does not. Which was Stevens? That's eleven fifty that I sprinkled on, but both those were quarter unit sprinkles, and then that was a one unit money line on Darren Stewart plus one ten, even though he's plus one hundred at the time of this recording. All right, um, yeah, yes, I'll let's try to blow through this. Uh, the rest of this here, we got uh, Manny Bermudez minus one fifty five, Charles Rosa plus one thirty five. Um, I wanted to pick Rosa so bad, was leaning on it, and then I really wanted to pick him after I saw the weight miss, but my pick hasn't changed despite the weight miss on Bermudez. And the fact that this fight is on the avoid list doesn't change. I had it on the avoid list before. It's definitely on the avoid list now. Um, Bermudez should be able to win. Um, he should be able to grapple enough to not get beat grappling, but I don't know if he necessarily beats Rosa. Rosa was always a talented brown belt, Active on the guard, uh, could play from the top, but now he's a black belt and has been, you know, working wrestling, I have to imagine, 
being an American top team for a couple of years now. And who knows what he's been doing in the couple of years off there. And he has left there at times. But it was to improve his kickboxing going to both the Netherlands, Amsterdam, and uh, and Thailand. So, which is good because you look at it, just that was kind of missing, right? He was kind of too in love with his karate roots and couldn't let that go. And even though it might have worked for his boxing, uh, he was really taking the power off his kicks and was allowing him to be countered, something Burgos was able to do from his boxing-centric stance. So, again, from that reason, I, another reason why I can see Bermudez is favorite. Bermudez doesn't show a lot. He's definitely not as good as Burgos, but he's, he's got power. And he looks pretty savvy at boxing. And even though he does that shell, he can get his hands up pretty fast when the high kicks come his way. Still, it's risky. And Bermudez still isn't hasn't shown enough against high-level guys to show that he's like some like amazing striker. Because most of the time, he's getting it done on the ground. Uh, I'm not sure he's going to have the wrestling edge or the size edge against Rosa either. That being said... You know, he's beaten and submitted good wrestlers before, like Tony Gravely, uh, Gravely, although you could say that's a prospect loss for Gravely. Um, still, uh, he's proven himself, so I could see why he's favorite, but I'm also offering kind of little peeks as to why we could look at it at a different perspective for Devil's Advocate purposes as to why this is on the avoid list here. Um, so in other words, on the ground or on the feet, I could see why... There are past and perceived advantages for Bermudez, but the point is, even though he probably is a real 145er and should never go to 135 again and may still end up looking bigger than Rosa, even though Rosa is the more experienced guy at 145 who's fought bigger guys, I get why he's favored. He's going to be begrudgingly my pick. My heart's on Rosa. I may even sprinkle on Rosa if the number gets larger, though if you are going to... It's on my avoid list, okay? But if you are going to play this, a note I put... Boston guys by decision, and that goes especially for this fight because I don't see Rosa, even though I think he's being underrated for his grappling abilities and overall abilities here, I don't see him submitting Bermudez. Even though he's been working on his power at Thailand, I don't see him knocking out Bermudez, and he's in his hometown. More importantly than all those factors, what ties in those factors, what wins scorecards predominantly, even with bad judging in MMA? What is it? It's volume. Even when the guy fucking misses and he's getting countered by a more technical slick guy, how many times does the fucking guy hit in air um, get stuff? Now, Rosa's not a guy to punch air, but he is a guy to put volume out, which is good. So, in other words, I could see Charles Rosa outworking Manny Bermudez very easily because Bermudez seems like kind of a lazy guy who's just, you know, depending on the finish. Like, he'll give bad positions it's because he knows he's going to get it back. He'll give a round because he knows he'll get the next one. That is going to eventually burn you. He is eventually going to not be undefeated. Is it going to be this time? I don't know. I'll be rooting for it as much as I don't want to pick it. I'm pulling up last minute. Maybe I'll regret it. Maybe I won't. Maybe I'll just play Rosa as a dog to make myself feel better and abandon myself. But this is on the avoids list, folks. Is his dog or pass? And I suggest you look at the submission prop if you're looking at the dog. But my pick is Bermudez on my avoid list. Hope that made sense and that's helpful. McCann, minus 550. I feel like she just jumped within the last hour. Uh, from this morning, from minus, from minus 450. She's minus 550 now with a comeback on Diana Belbita with cheese, plus plus 425. I haven't listened to any other podcasts, but I got to imagine the odds are probably minus 25, that, that other breakdown podcast I've made that joke, because that seems like a really obvious one to take. I haven't... It doesn't sound like it's pronounced Belbita from the only two fights I watched from her. I didn't go back to watch any Molly McCann. This is the fight I was talking about that I did the least study on because of the type of fight it is. Not picking on the ladies, but it is the widest spread favorite. So in other words, the opinion is quite obvious here. However, not picking on the ladies, but if 
the biggest favorites on the cards have been dropping both men and female, but especially the ladies. It's hard to justify laying chalk on Molly McCann, even if she was minus back down to minus 450, because let's just rewind to one of the most dominant physical females, Macy Kiesan, at minus 420, how bad that S the bed, right? Uh, and I was right there. Hey, I was right there with it supporting Macy, and I, I ate shit there, so I'm not above it. I'm not trying to rub anybody's face in it and talk like I'm better. None, none, none of that here. I'm just saying, folks, let's be let's be honest, right? Let's be honest. <laughs> if that minus 1420 failed in that spot, Lila Landsberg, and, um, are we really are we really going to be confident here? Confident? Fucking boy. Fucking Chucky. Fucking Chucky laying the street for you. That doesn't fucking count. Uh, sorry, Boston accent there. But uh, but are we really gonna be that confident in McCann here? I don't I I don't know. I don't know if uh, I don't know if I can be here, folks. So uh, I'm gonna take Molly McCann. I think she gets it done. I like Molly McCann, by the way. How can you not fucking like her voice there? And uh, and yes, I'm I'm gonna pick her to out out outwork um, Diana. But Diana, you know, even though she's Romanian. She, she seems pretty serviceable all around. Uh, I, I just think Molly McCann's going to be the technically sharper fighter. She's going to be the better mover. She's going to have the better head movement uh, and boxing. And that's probably what's going to save her. Uh, hopefully she, you know, she doesn't try to style too much on the ground. But Molly McCann shows some improvements on the ground. And I think she'll be okay down there as well. So the pick is Molly McCann by a decision. But oof. I mean, I'll just, I'd rather take the over in this fight than anything. And for minus 210. Um which, by the way, uh, no parlay pieces here, folks. Uh, but the closest to a parlay piece I will go, since, again, the biggest parlay pieces are going to be Hardy and McCann, and I'm kind of making cases as to why I'm not so heavy on them and why you should be careful. Not saying you shouldn't play them. Not saying they're not going to hit. I'm saying just playing devil's advocate here uh, and being honest about it, not just playing it to play it. Uh, but I will say a parlay piece that I did, did like, I didn't mention, which is Pierce Lozon doesn't go the distance, minus 25 is chalky as shit. But it's like if you're playing that, like that, that's the kind of how deep, in my opinion, you're going to have to look for quote-unquote safe shit because you're going to have to play like fucking stuff like that. Uh, I, I haven't played a parlay or anything, to be honest. I'll probably do my main card one. But that's it. I don't know if I'm going to play one at all, folks. I'd be honest with you if I am. Uh, it's just that, that, I, I, I give that as a poor example just kind of prove my point of there's not, there's not a lot to like here. Um. All right, I don't want to edit, but I do have to use the little boy's room. I'm going to do a minor edit, so I'll be right back. All right, and I'm back. My Uncle Marty, though. My Uncle Marty could drink. One night, my Uncle Marty came back. He was just blown out of his fucking god. I mean, he was hammered. <laughs> a little more Google hunting for you. All right, enough of that, Dan. On to the breakdown. We just wrapped the McCann breakdown. You're not imagining things. I know that was a weird transition. And we are on uh, Kyle Bosch. You know, Google hunting a little... Or a little, little bit of a, I feel like a kid today. George Young, George Young, prison. Speaking of prison stories in in, in Boston, uh, Kyle Bochniak minus one twenty five taking on Sean Woodson as the underdog. Comeback plus one hundred five. And I'm not saying that lightly or to make fun. In fact, it's an amazing, heartwarming story because father son shit. You know, it really gets your boy here. <laughs> right in the fields. <laughs> but Nolan King and Junkie has a great story on. Hmm. Drinking the last of my coffee there. On Kyle Bochniak, man. You know, he, I knew he went to prison before. I didn't know why. And just that story there was, was really, wow, sobering. More ways than one. Go check that out. I just freaking... Shit, my tooth. Feels like it. But, uh, no, 
this might uh this one on the avoid list it feels like it should be but it's not no no it's not on the avoid list I remember what I wrote it down god damn my teeth are like fucking corroding. I gotta go to the dentist. Yeah, Dan, good time to check your teeth on the podcast. <laughs> All right. No, um, I, I like a Bochniak here, unless he runs into a flying knee, which he could because one, he has that boxing stance, and as Jeremy Stevens taught us in the Dennis Bermudez fight, if you lean forward heavy on your boxing stance, you can open up to leg kicks, which he's been, which he's eaten before. Uh, as well as uh, flying knees. so And I think he's also going to be looking for the takedowns, which I think Woodson thinks he is too. So Woodson, you know, doing the, the typical uh, interview out there, where he's like, I don't think he wants to stand with me. Trying to play that psychology, so which means he wants him to stand with him, and, but he's also expecting the takedown. Um, training at Gloria Man Fitness, looks like Sean Woodson is, or at least he trained a little bit there, but mainly back in his camp of Watson, or Watson and May, or something like that. Uh... And we, we've seen him show up on short notice and make weight, which is crazy. So now he's got a bit of notice for this fight. I uh, expect we get a good uh, version of Woodson. Um, I don't know how confident you want to be in that or laying chalk on Bochniak, but you can get Bochniak for decision at plus 175 because I don't think Bochniak, I think he wants to take him down, but I don't think he's going to submit him. And he will have a, a ground edge. I think Bochniak's like a purple now recently received brown belt. Or the brown belt. So he'll have a ground edge, but I don't think he's going to submit Woodson. And um, I don't think he's going to knock Woodson out. But I think he can uh, keep enough uh, forward pressure and volume out there um, to earn a decision. He can also counter off his back foot. We've seen him win that way as well, too. He's in his hometown. So for plus money by decision prop, yeah, I put I put uh, 0.75, 0.75 unit on that. Uh, Three-quarter unit for fun. Uh, yeah, in a cell. All right. Not much else to say on that one. Next fight, Kevin Holland, minus 165. Brendan Allen, minus, uh, plus 145. Uh, I had my eye on this one, but then didn't get to the study late. Thankfully, the line didn't move much, so I still took a shot. I'm, uh... You're laying down. You're being a good boy. Never mind. Sorry my dog. It's outside. Um, yeah, I, I, I like Kevin Holland here. Uh, Kevin Holland here. Uh, and I like Brandon Allen too, man. He's, he's, he's a hard guy not to root for. You know, his story with his family, his brother, uh, you know, trains hard out there, tough Southern boy, and then he moved out to uh, Rufus Sport these last few camps, and it's been looking better. But a lot of his fights just go the same. Like, even Paul Felder, his teammate, says, says you know, he kind of needs to get hit to waking up, and he kind of zombies his way into the clinch, goes for the tie clinch, knees, well, maybe go for a trip or something, or someone will try to take him down, or he'll reverse that, or get taken down and work off his back, and then maybe reverse, and uh, just kind of get into a grappling game, and 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 hopefully pulls out a win within the madness, whether it be come from the clinch or gets produced from the clinch, like it was in his contender series fights, uh, fight. Um, so that's kind of his mo, and he's just not as good of a grappler as uh, Kevin Holland, not as high of a rank one either, I believe. I'm not sure what Brendan Allen is. I'm thinking he's purple belt level, and I have it in front of me. Uh, but judging from what I see, it looks about purple belt level. Whereas Kevin Holland, I believe, is a brown belt under Luter. Um, and he showed he can. Uh, even though I, another fight I scored from Poor Mir Shark, another another fight I scored for GM three. Uh, but even though I scored it for GM3, Holland was able to, uh, you know, not be submitted and get out of uh, 
be calm and get out of reverse bad spots against uh, Gerald, who is a black belt and uh, I do know is more talented. Well, we would not. No, I'm not in their fucking training sessions, but would definitely be willing to put a wager down that he is the more talented grappler than Brandon Allen in both jujitsu, gi, and MMA sense. No gi, MMA, and, and MMA sense. Um, and Kevin Holland was able to hold his own against him, whether he thought he won or not. Uh, it's just hard, you know, on Holland just to know. <laughs> What he's gonna do? Cause like his process, like it seems his process gets better when he breaks an arm, but otherwise he's like all over the place, right? Um, but he can like knock out guys like Jeff Neal. So yeah, I, don't, I, I like I, I like Holland here. Yeah, I'll be hard pressed. It's one of those fights where it's hard pressed for me to pick a way it gets done, uh, which looks really bad because I'm betting it. But I would argue Kevin Holland is one of those one of those guys you can make the argument slash understand why I take that stance on. Um, 1.75 units on him and Kevin Holland at minus 165. Um, so yeah, that 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 makes that that does it for the uh, it's two straights, two props. I'll recap those at the end here. Um, let's get to this last fight. Um, Tanner Bozier minus 135 and the comeback on Daniel Spitz uh, plus 115. Tanner, Tanner Bozier's probably the nicest guy, by the way, and I just can't. It's like that. It's like that ref from Mexico City that we had. Like I just couldn't fucking help myself. From I think I may have like tweeted about him four times, but you guys don't even know. I probably had like forty in fucking drafts. I was just like, Dan, don't lose your job. Just riffing on this guy with a bunch of inappropriate jokes. I don't know why I just hone in on these people and I can keep riffing on them. And I know everyone's probably making the obvious joke that he's Roy Nelson light, but. uh but oh man, oh I have to stop from tweeting another one on Tanner Bozier. It was it was more, not about less about him and more about uh, I was watching his fight with DJ Linderman. It was more about DJ Linderman. Guys, why don't you tell me that? Like, when did DJ Linderman turn into Stephen Avery from Making a Murderer? Fucking <laughs> 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 <Like a> Stephen Avery. <laughs> DJ Linderman, holy shit! I mean, DJ Linderman isn't like Travis Fulton status by any means or anything like that. He, although he feels like it, even though he's only been fighting since like oh seven oh eight. Well, like, he's on everybody's record, right? Like, the Anthony Johnsons of the world. Like, he just kind of just shows up, and now he's up at heavyweight. And uh, he's, he's a bit more grayer. He's got the mustache, a bit more of a belly, right? And holy shit, maybe I'll, I'll tweet out the picture. But go look over that fight. Tweet me it if you know what I'm talking about. Uh, if you co-sign. I'm sure y'all binge that Making a Murderer show. And fucking, holy shit, DJ Linderman and Stephen Avery. We almost have the whole cast because if you remember, shout out to Jordan Killian. We already labeled uh, uh, Cody Fister as Brendan Dassey, you know, before Brendan gains the weight. Oh, yeah. Oh, Brendan. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 But Tanner Bozier, uh, Tanner Bozier was a guy I just feel like I, I tweeted out uh, the first time he was supposed to fight before his fight got canceled. Uh, like, doesn't Tanner Bozier sound like, you know, an IFL name? Like, Tanner Bozier of the Anacondas, Tanner Bozier representing the Lumberjacks, uh, the Flapjacks and Sour Cream with Tanner Bozier, right? Like, he's, he could have his own, his, his own show. Hog hunting with Tanner Bozier. Hey, hedgehog haircuts with Tanner Bozier. Lawn filtration system with Tanner Bozier. <laughs> Damn, break down the fucking fight. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm having too much fun with, with Tanner Bozier's name. Um, 
Yeah, he should be the favorite against Daniel Spitz. <laughs> uh, this is a juiced ass heavyweight over. It's like already minus two ten as it should be. Like I'm, the whole time breaking this fight down, I'm like, oh, that's minus one seventy. Okay, that's still it's juiced as it should be though. Um, uh, because I'm like, oh, this is gonna be a heavyweight over all over, all over it. Like Tanner Bozier, just he, the way he fight. Like uh, it was funny that he fought like Salem Gary Ruzilov. I'm like, he's like the um, the North American equivalent. Like their style. Like this is, that fight had decision written all over it. Um, Spitz, he only comes out like once a year, you know, from uh, Rick Little's camp over there, Sig Jitsu, up in the Pacific Northwest. Um, he's a uh, you know, deceptively athletic, used to play football. He can change his level. It's funny, he strikes, he, it looks like he, he, he strikes very similar to, uh, what's his name? Fucking, uh, fought 145, or 150, he fought Hakeem Duodu. And um, Austin Arnett, he fights like Austin Arnett on the feet, but then like, he changes level and like wrestles better than most of the guys on the team, and he's the heavyweight, it's weird. He could do that here, but most guys try to be taking Tanner Bozier down. That's where most... Tanner Bozier. Hedgehog here. Hog. Uh, most people <laughs> try to take Tanner Bozier down, and that's where most fights take place. And so he gets a lot of reps. Uh, reversing people against the fence with Tanner Bozier. Uh, so he has a lot of, lot, lot of practice doing that. Um, so I, I don't see that going too well. Uh, I think Spitz is going to just move around and try to pick him off, but Tanner... Tanner Bozier, that's where his experience comes from. You know, those Canadians, they deceptive kickboxing and Muay Thai experience. They like, they like, to, they like to chuck limbs as well. Uh, and he's a Canadian who likes to chuck limbs. And I think he uh, would chuck, would chuck, could chuck, uh, would, uh, will hear. <laughs> Tanner Bozier, would chuck, would chuck reconciliation projects with Tanner Bozier. So my pick here is Tanner Bozier. Um, it's going to be stuck in your head now, folks. You're welcome. If you didn't already shut the fucking podcast off. Um, yeah, I don't know. If you're looking to be degenerate, if that line gets tighter, maybe you could play him. But I just, I don't know. That's not really, it's not really on there. I skipped some fights, didn't I? I, I skipped uh, Randy Costa versus Boston Salmon because that's on my avoid list. And not much of a breakdown there, folks. I'm going to take Boston Salmon, but that's an extreme couture Hawaiian Hawaiian guy bias. I like Randy Costa. I actually took Randy Costa, who was the underdog in that fight, plus 125. Um, you know, I don't blame anybody taking him for a shot on Randy Costa. I took a shot on Randy Costa against Brandon Davis. Uh, really like Randy Costa's striking style. We just got to know more about him. And I suspect either Salmon, you know, he got caught with a perfect shot. Either he goes and shows how good his, his striking is in this fight, and we get a really fun fight with Randy Costa. Or and or he mixes in or goes more toward, more heavily toward the takedowns, uh, just, uh, uh, underrated, um, underrated grappling game. Uh, and, and I think he could show that this would be a great fight to show that underrated grappling game. You know, he works with other wrestlers, Shrim Couture, other wrestling Hawaiians like Danny Gay. Um, so I think Boston Salmon uh, by decision, and we get to see a lot more of both guys. And hopefully, it's either a fun one or. Um, maybe Boston just tries to, to turn the tide, turn the tide and, and grind it out. We'll see. Uh, it's on my avoids list. I'm not telling you to do anything or not do anything there. Just it's on my avoids list for 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 uh, for that reason. Did I forget any more fights? I don't think I did, folks. Let me go from top to bottom to recap here. Taking Dominic Reyes over Chris Weidman. Taking Yair or taking Germany Stevens over Yair Rodriguez, taking Greg Hardy over Ben Sassoli, T 
taking Jonathan Pierce over Joe Lozon, taking Jillian Robertson over Macy Barber, taking Darren Stewart over Darren Wynn, taking Manny Bermudez over Charles Rosa, taking Molly McCann over Diana Belpita, taking Kyle Bokniak over Sean Woodson, taking Boston Salmon over Randy Costa, taking... Oh, wait, did I even break down... I didn't even break down Sean McGee versus... Court, what the fuck am I doing, Dan? Dan, what the fuck are you doing? I didn't break down uh, Court McGee versus Sean Brady. Sean Brady, minus 220. Court McGee, plus 180. Not on the avoid list. And how did I not write that down in my straight plays? Because I took a shot on McGee here. I actually took a shot on McGee at uh, plus 195. He's plus 180 now. Um, basically, like, don't get me wrong. Sean Brady, he, he should be favored here. I get it. He's undefeated. CFFC has not been fighting any cans. Uh, all guys with winning records, just got his black belt uh, under Daniel Gracie uh, in December of last year. So he's been a black belt for almost a year, trains with guys like Paul Felder, probably where he picked up that spinning back fist that he got a sweet knockout. But aside from that, the guy's not much of a finisher. He'll get really pissed off if you say that. But I'm just saying, like, I'm just speaking to the fact of the records because I believe his only other TKO uh, win comes from his last fight, which I saw, and that fight was going that way anyways, and it was an impressive performance. I'm not trying to take anything away. But it was a bad stoppage, and it wasn't even one where like he dropped the guy flush or anything first or anything like that. So even though he looks like a really well-built 5'9", 5'10", welterweight, um, he's not the tallest welterweight. He doesn't have the biggest reach. Uh, his Aside from that spinning back fist knockout, his uh, striking looks fairly basic. He doesn't... He, I've seen him drop a guy, actually, and he did drop him coming off a back foot, but it was in a highlight, so I didn't really see the context of it. Um, and it wasn't a very notable guy. The most notable guy it was Colton Smith. That doesn't weigh too much for me. Not to, no, no offense to Smith. And I wasn't able to see that fight, so it really can't weigh anything to me because I haven't seen it. Um, so I think he's a good guy. I just we got to see it more. I got to be proven wrong. And if you're going to put near two to one odds against a proven guy like Court McGee, then not only am I going to take that shot off off a of blind value, but also from a stylistic standpoint to the technical side of things, there is also a path here as well in the sense that you could make an argument that okay, against a jiu-jitsu guy. Brady's a black belt, so you got to be a really like uh, uh, Charles Oliveira level guy up at 170 if there is such a thing, you know, maybe like a Damian Maya, I should say, then to out jujitsu him. Um, he looks like he's pretty sturdy. He looks like he's defensively sound. So it's like you got to be a really, really like overblown in the striking and be able to have takedown defense to keep it on the feet to beat him. Uh, like aside from those, I guess more obvious and drawable pass. I think McGee is actually a pretty beatable. Uh, could be a, a really bad matchup. McGee is a deceptively bad matchup for a lot of people. He's not a finisher himself. He's a grinder himself. Except I think he grinds better than uh, Brady. Uh, Brady, obviously we've seen McGee more, but McGee's done it at a higher level, at a higher weight class. He's a bigger, stronger guy. More importantly, McGee has better wrestling. Uh, McGee has always been a deceptively good wrestler offensively and defensively. Even when he's taken down, he scrambles well to his feet. He's only at 66% because of how long he's been in the UFC, but it's really higher than that. If you look at the kind of takedowns he's been, you know, would give away, like, uh, like even in his last fight, you know, uh, you know, that the, one of his last, uh, losses against, um, a better jujitsu practitioner, uh, probably even than, uh, and more difficult one to deal with because of his length, uh, Sean, uh, Strickland. Uh, Sean, like one of those takedowns was from a caught kick. The other was like from a knockdown. The other was like from a perfectly timed uh, like a, a re wrestle shot after McGee took him down. Like uh, one was from a slip. Like you know what I'm saying? Like uh, it, it's 
it's hard to outright take McGee down, and I haven't really seen any impressive wrestling or really much reactive shots from Brady. Again, I didn't comb through CFFC footage here, folks. I was only able to watch like two fights and a bunch of highlights and just a social media clip and other things I could grab. I didn't get to comb through his whole footage. If you did and you see something that I'm missing, fucking go against me, call me out, by all means, all, all fair. But from what I saw, I can't help but but play and just pick Court McGee from a value perspective here because I think he's the better wrestler. I, I only saw like kind of basic jujitsu takedowns. I didn't see any reactive shots from Brady. It was just like if he gets to the body lock, he's got an outside trip. And I, 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 I don't see him muscling around or bullying around McGee. He doesn't throw more than McGee. McGee's going to make him fight off the back foot. McGee's going to make him fight. And that's either going to be a really good thing for Sean Brady and Sean Brady supporters in the sense that we'll get to see the exciting part and the real capabilities tested. Sean Brady might be that guy you have to kind of get him out of his shell. He plays real conservative, like right? Um, so that could be a good thing for him and a bad thing for McGee, but I think it's going to be the other way around. I think it's going to be a difficult thing for him, especially on his UFC debut against a guy who's just been there, a guy you keep, Brady probably watched himself go through the ultimate fighter. Everybody knows Court McGee's story. Court McGee's not a guy to quit. And he's also been getting better, even though he's in the latter parts of his career. He's a guy that, you know, he's only fighting once a year or maybe barely twice a year, but that's probably better for a guy who's a veteran and is getting later in the years. And also the fact that he's been, you know, sober for like a decade now or whatever it is, like, you know, that's a lot less wear in your body. He's not putting the miles on his body outside of camp, you know, outside of the gym. Furthermore, he moved Jim to Mark Montoya's. He's one and one since going there, but he still made a good account for himself in both fights, improved his hand, particularly his lead hand, dropping both of his last opponents with his lead hand. One was a jab, a perfectly split jab off Alex Garcia, and the other was that left hook off Diego Lima at the closing seconds. So that fight would have kept going, you know, who knows what, what, what could have happened. So McGee's still showing improvements in the later stage in his career. So I think people are seeing that as well, which is why I'm not alone. Money is coming in on McGee. Uh, I didn't write it here, but I, 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 I threw, uh, I, I, I threw a, another point. I only did point seven five on on a lot of these dog plays, but um, didn't have to, you know, even lay that much with with the number that I got in comparison to the others. Uh, plus one ninety five again. He's now plus one eighty. I apologize, I missed that. All right, I'm going to recap now at the end. Top from bottom again. I knew I was missing something. I knew it. All right, taking Dominic Reyes over Chris Weidman, taking Jeremy Stevens over Yair Rodriguez, taking Greg Hardy over Ben Sassoli, taking Jonathan Pierce over Joe Lozon, begrudgingly, taking Jillian Robertson over Macy Barber, taking Aaron Stewart over Darren Wynn, taking Manny Bermudez over Charles Rosa, taking Molly Mahan over Tayana Belbita. Taking Kyle Bokniak over Sean Woodson. Taking Boston Salmon Biasly over Randy Costa. Taking Court McGee over Sean Brady. Taking Kevin Holland over Brandon Allen. Taking Tanner Bozier over Daniel Spitz. Um, Parlay piece, if you're really looking degenerate, I don't really have any. I mean, you can look, Pierce Lozon doesn't go the distance. or some doesn't go the distances in there. Of course, you know, Hardy and McCann are going to be popular ones at your own risk. I don't have any parlays. But straight plays, I got the chalk at Holland, minus 165, 1.75 view. Pierce at minus 150, 1.75 view. Dog plays on Stewart, plus 110, uh, uh, 0.75 view. Uh, 
Robertson plus 120.75U, and McGee plus 195, though he's now plus 180 at 0.75U. Props that I played, Stevens inside the distance, make play Stevens if he goes to dog money, but played him inside the distance at plus 241 unit. Sprinkled on round three to put my money where my mouth is. I think that's where it gets done if it gets done. Plus 1150. Uh, Stewart, round three. I also sprinkled for the old Derek Love round three there. Easy, Derek, easy. Plus 1750 at your own risk, folks. I only put a quarter unit on it. Also sprinkled a little bit on Bochniak by decision. Plus 175, 0.75 units. Again, boys from Boston may have a nice little little bump there by decision there. Um, and uh, avoid lists, uh, Costa versus Salmon. Bermudez, Rosa, McCann, Belbita are on my avoid list. It doesn't mean you have to, uh, of course. All right, that, th those are my picks and plays. Not sure what y'all got, but uh, but but good luck to y'all. And um, I'll catch you on the flip side next week. We got we got some more fights. Bellator's got a card. Uh, UFC's got a card. And then after that will be UFC 244. So yeah, good luck with your picks and plays. Enjoy the fights and always protect Yannick.